0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Something big is happening here. Something mysterious, mystical, wondrous. Jesus doesn't look like Jesus. He's not sun-weathered and covered in dust from walking. He's now in dazzling white but not a white seen on earth so white's not even really the right word for it there are no words he's glowing sparkling he's been transformed transfigured and he's not alone he's with Moses and Elijah and they're they're talking <laughs> It's like heaven and earth are one in this moment. It feels like a dream that you can't fully express to another, but it's not. This is happening. So what does this moment mean? That's what Peter, James, and John are trying to figure out. Out of the group of disciples, they've been invited to this moment in time. They followed Jesus to this place as they were asked. And now they are seeing... What are they seeing exactly? Have Elijah and Moses returned? Are they here to stay? How is it that Peter is even able to recognize Elijah, and Moses. How does he know who Jesus is speaking to? It doesn't make any sense at all, but he feels it. He's sure. Peter is terrified. So are James and John. This doesn't compute. It's impossible, or it was until this moment. What are they doing here? Are they supposed to do something? It's Peter who has a guess. I imagine him summoning his strength from somewhere deep inside, searching his brain for the reason he's supposed to be there. Come on, Peter, think, think. You're a disciple. You've been invited. You have to say something, anything. Then maybe it comes to him. He remembers all of his ancestors who after experiencing a holy moment made a monument to mark that place as sacred. Jacob made an altar. So did Moses Joshua. Yes, this must be why he's here. So in a statement that also kind of feels like a question, he suggests making three dwelling places, one for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Capture this experience, mark this place as holy, hold onto it somehow. Jesus doesn't respond to this. Instead, what could have only added to their awe and terror, A cloud covers them, and a voice declares, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. The scene changes again. Now it is only Jesus in front of them, the regular non-dazzling kind, I suppose. It's all over. Before they could make sense of it, before Jesus could explain it, it's gone. And as they returned from the mountain, Jesus tells them not to tell others what happened until after he's risen from the dead. This moment is never explained to these disciples that we know of. And it's never explained to us, the reader. I've been reading Making Sense of the Cross, which is our February book club pick. An author, David Lowe's, describes that the way the Gospels are written, they are narratives. They tell the story, but they don't stop to explain it. And that is partly what draws us in, because now we are left just as bewildered as Peter, James, and John. We are part of the story. Here's the thing. I don't think I fully understand the transfiguration. As a literary nerd, I can tell you all the ways the story is connected to other parts of scripture, the parallels with Jesus's baptism and crucifixion, the way it foreshadows his coming glory, We could trace this beautiful thread of how the work of Moses and Elijah and Jesus are connected in this ongoing love story of God and people. But I do not understand this particular moment. What has happened or how it's happened. And I don't think Peter, James, and John ever fully make sense of this moment either. They don't have to. Understanding is in no way a prerequisite for following Jesus. Whew. Am I right? <laughs> My favorite part of this passage is that Peter only makes this suggestion because he's terrified and doesn't know what else to say. He just gives it his best guess. And when the voice from above says they're supposed to listen to Jesus, he does that instead. The disciples, especially in the Gospel of Mark, never understand what's going on. But that doesn't stop them. They keep following Jesus. Maybe they were there on that mountain simply to witness this moment, to see it with their own eyes, to experience it, and then to share it. We are only able to read about this baffling, dazzling moment because Peter, James, and John bear witness to it. They told others what they had seen and heard. Even if it didn't make sense, even though it sounded unbelievable, they recognized this moment as holy and they shared it. But what if they had decided not to tell others what happened? What if after coming down off that mountain, they made an agreement just to keep it between them, thinking that this is too weird and too strange and no one's going to believe it, Moses and Elijah appearing in the flesh? People are just going to think we're hallucinating from walking in the desert too long then this moment would have stayed on the mountaintop, and there'd be no record of it. Fortunately for us, the disciples share this moment better than any dwelling place that Peter could have built to capture what happened. He tells the story to those who tell the story. Not just this moment, but many instances of Jesus' healing and feeding, the sermons they listened to and the prayers Jesus spoke, and all of the places where they followed Jesus. They saw and they heard and they shared in this incredible ministry, never fully understanding, never knowing exactly what Jesus was going to do next, but trusting God and listening to Jesus and just following where he led, experiencing these wondrous moments where God's heavenly kingdom touched earth and then sharing all that they had experienced. There's a common misconception among church people that you have to reach a certain level of understanding or wisdom before you can share your faith with others. I hear this sometimes when I ask someone to lead a Sunday school class, and they worry that they don't know enough to teach, that they're still learning. Or when someone shares an idea in Bible study but wonders if they've gotten it right, as if there's only one right way to read a verse. Or sometimes we have felt God act in our lives in small ways. And since it's not transfiguration on a mountaintop, we wonder if it is a story worth sharing. One of the reasons that I love the Lenten devotional booklet that Emmanuel puts together every year is that this tradition offers us a place to take that leap together. Forty people or so, all sharing a little bit of what God has been nudging them towards. Each reflection is a witness to how someone in our congregation has experienced God in their life. My devotion this year is a reflection on faith that I had while crocheting. Others will lift up a poem that spoke to them or lyrics from a Sunday school song that they still sing, a moment in worship that was moving. Almost every devotion comes down to this. Here is where I've experienced God. In study, in prayer, in a TV show or movie, in a confirmation assignment, in a moment, in distress, in nature, in a diagnosis, in my family? Sometimes putting these experiences into words is hard. It can make us feel silly. This moment doesn't dazzle. It's so ordinary. Or it can make you feel like you're telling someone about a dream you had. Does this make any sense at all? or it can make us feel a little vulnerable. Wow, I'm revealing a lot of myself here. Our collected thoughts and stories we share are not the reflections of experts who have spent a lifetime writing about God. They are the stories of disciples ever surprised by the ways God keeps showing up. In the end, what we get is this powerful daily witness of God's presence in our lives, in the small and big ways, in ways that were unexpected, the places where we saw a glimpse of heaven here on earth, or heard God's voice speaking to our heart. And in writing it down, we get to hold on to it and honor its sacredness. We get to keep it and share it. Whether it's with the Lent devotional specifically or in journaling or just in conversations with loved ones, sharing what we've experienced doesn't require us to be experts. We don't need to know exactly what God is teaching us or where Jesus is leading us or what every moment means. But when we've experienced God, when we've had a moment of clarity or wisdom, felt moved by a prayer, found unexpected peace, it is worth slowing down to recognize these moments. And it's worth sharing these moments. Because in following Jesus, and listening to his words, and learning from one another, opening our hearts to experience what God is doing in this moment, feeling God's presence and love. When we hold on to and share what's sacred, we might not dazzle and sparkle, but we are certainly transformed.